Make your plans now to join us for the G3 National Conference, September 30th through October 2nd, as we'll gather for Christian fellowship and the worship of God through song and the preached word. Our theme for the 2021 conference will be centered on biblical Christology. You can find registration details at g3men.org. Get 15% off by mentioning code G3BAR. That's G3BAR. This is Ordinary People with Extraordinary Lives, a series dedicated to the testimonies of believers and followers of Jesus Christ. I am your host, Arlenis Bakalu. Hey friends, welcome back to Ordinary People with Extraordinary Lives. I am your host, Arlenis. So excited that we get to come to you guys every Tuesday morning and uh, just bringing you a new testimony of salvation from believers and followers of Jesus Christ. Remember, if you have not followed us on social media, that is one way that we can stay connected. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram or Twitter and even Facebook. Uh, you can find the link on the show notes and that will direct you to all of the different uh, social media accounts that we have, but as well as where you can find our podcast. And as we do every Tuesday, we bring to you a new guest. And today's special guest is coming from the Girl Defined Ministries. We, if you remember, we had Bethany Beal uh, from Girl Defined. We are so thankful because they did partner with us for our one year anniversary, which we were able to give away this book, Shine Bright, 60 Days to Becoming a Girl Defined by God, which is by Kristen and Bethany. I've been having such a wonderful time just reading this devotional. It's uh, rich in scripture and uh, even some questions at the end, and it's so helpful. So girls, if you have not checked out this book, I will so highly suggest you just go on the link in, in the show notes and you will be able to find this devotional, which is so helpful. And it will be so encouraging for you to begin your day with. Today, we are actually having Kristen. So today we get to hear from Kristen. We, we will hear her testimony. And it's my goal that uh, you are encouraged, but also that you are reminded through her testimony that the Lord is so powerful to, to save sinners like us. And it is all through the power of the gospel. I hope that this is an encouragement to you. And if you feel that this is something that... It will encourage another friend or a family. I would love for you to just uh, share with your friends and family and let them know how they can find us. All right, friends, and thank you so much for listening or watching. And here is my conversation with Kristen. All right, guys, I, I know that you probably listened to the introduction that I did at the beginning. So I have with me Kristen. Uh, welcome, Kristen, to our podcast. It's such a privilege and honor to have you on our podcast. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I am excited about this conversation. I am excited too. And as I was telling you before we started recording, I was listening a little bit, a part of your story, but I'm looking forward to get the whole story, Lord willing, right? In yes. one hour, hopefully. <laughs> we'll get in as much as we can. Yes. <laughs> I yes. can talk fast. <laughs> oh, yes, you can. You and Bethany, <laughs> oh my word. If, if anyone has listened to your for to your podcast, it's like a lot of, I've had a friend asking me, like, I don't know if they like, like add like a speed thing on their, on their oh. podcast, or if that's like how they actually talk. And then I've realized, I think Bethany was the one who told me, no, that's how we talk. But like that, that's just how we talk. I'll try to slow it down a little. I know some people are like, I cannot understand you. And I'm like, okay, that's a problem if you can't understand me. So I will slow it down a bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, thank you again. Thank you so much to, uh, for joining me. It was such a pleasure to meet Bethany and to have her on the podcast as well. And so grateful mm -hmm. that you guys, your ministry joined us and 
our one year anniversary and I showed this book oh, that you guys just released. This was oh, I love it. You have a copy. Yay. Yeah. So I was telling all the girls, if you haven't purchased yours, go and get it. Like, uh, this is the one that we were able to include in the giveaway. Um, I already started it. So it's Yay. so amazing. Just, I love how you guys have like, just like poured out all the scriptures and questions mm-hmm. and things like that. So it's so helpful. I love that. Oh, good. <laughs> and just to begin, but uh, you see, I was just going new back me. Oh. Ah, no worries. Trust me. Sometimes I forget my own name. Like, like, <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> Kristen, Kristen. Okay. And just to begin, Kristen, I love having my um, guests just to share a little bit about their upbringing. Uh, tell us about your family. What was it like to grow up in your family? I know that because we heard from Bethany, it was a believing family. So mm-hmm. just tell us a little bit about that. What was it like for uh, for you growing up with your family? Yeah. Well, first off, we are from Texas. So she probably mentioned that we're very proud of our state, but it's so funny because not only are we from Texas, but everyone in my family is really tall. So, you know, they say everything is bigger in Texas. Like most of us are over six feet tall. So we are very like big. There are eight kids in my family. So growing up just, there were always playmates, you know, friends, built-in friends through my siblings. And I just loved it. And so, yeah, my parents were believers. They're first generation believers. So their parents weren't believers as they grew up, but then most people in each of their families became Christians over time. And so just such a blessing to have my parents raise us, um, you know, just in, in the gospel, that being the center of our home and going to church and yeah, just learning about the Lord. And I would say, you know, like every person who grows up in a Christian family, there comes a point in time where you're like, okay, is this really what I believe for myself? Or is this just what we believe as a family? Cause this is what I'm told, like, this is what's true. So I feel like maybe it was in my probably later teens, early twenties, just really making that decision for myself. Like, yes, I want to follow the Lord. Um, I want to serve him with my life. I want to glorify him, um, in my womanhood and just early twenties, especially, I feel like, is when I went on a journey of really discovering and studying and learning and growing and what it meant to be, um, a woman defined by God, a girl defined by God. Um, so Mm -hmm. yeah, it, it's a work in progress. Like it is for all of us, you know, that continual journey of sanctification, but yeah, just so grateful for the foundation that my parents gave me. And can you remember at what age, as far as you can remember, did they begin teaching you the word of God? Like when did they begin mm. teaching you the gospel about Jesus, what Jesus did, what the dying on the cross meant and about sin? How did they confront yeah. sin in your life? Yeah. Oh, as far back as I can remember. In fact, this is so crazy. They taught me this when I was maybe like, I don't know, five or six, but it was this little thing that you do on your hands and it's like the gospel in a nutshell. And it starts with God loves me, but I have sinned. Jesus died for me. If I believe in him, I will go to heaven. So like this salvation kind of like so basic, but I still remember it. And I, they taught me that when I was so, so, so little. And then of course they kept building on that foundation, but yeah, the gospel and Jesus and the fact that I was a sinner, you know, they would filter all of their parenting through the lens of the gospel. So it wasn't just, you need to obey us because we're your parents, but it was, mm-hmm. Hey, this is what God calls you to. This is what honors God. When you honor your mom and dad, you honor God. And this is what he says in his word. And so it was always taking it back to the Lord as the ultimate one that I was living for and serving mm-hmm. and obeying, um, not just mom and dad. So I do feel like from a really young age, honestly, as far back as I can remember, they were telling me about Jesus. How would you say that you received this information? Mm-hmm. Um, were you like, okay, I'll take it in. Did you ever think like, oh, you know, I'm actually saved because I was raised in this Christian home. Mm. What was that like? What were some mm. of the things that you struggle as a child not being saved yet? 
what were some yes. of the things that you will see it in your life, right? <laughs> oh, there was a lot. I am, um, I don't know how you put it, like really prideful in my flesh and definitely uh, like a personality that resists authority, not naturally a very compliant person, um, you know, want, just wants to do things my own way. And so from a young age, there was a lot of, I would say, friction of my parents, like trying to train and teach me tell me what was true in God's word. And then me like, okay, well, that's not what I want to do. Like, well, I don't want to honor you. I don't want to obey you. So I'm just going to do things my way. And, you know, never really worked out too well for me, but yeah, I just saw in my own heart from a young age, a lot of sin. And I didn't really know at the time exactly like how much sin there was. But as I got older and looked back, I could see like, wow, I was so prideful. I was so stubborn. I was so selfish. Like I just wanted it to be my way, like my way or the highway, like even with my siblings and, you know, like we had a very loving relationship, but just those more sinful sides that would come out all the time. I'm like, wow. Um, so, you know, it's hard because I know my parents shared the gospel and they say like, I accepted the Lord when I was really young, but it's hard to know, like, is that really the time that I got saved or was it when I was a little older and understood a little bit more like what the gospel actually meant. And, um, you know, that transformational work that Christ starts to do. I feel like I didn't see that as early on as maybe when I was a little bit older, you know, that I guess that conviction, that sensitivity yeah. to sin. Cause when I was little, I remember not even caring. Like I remember one time Bethany and I were sneaking out at night. I actually, we actually share this in one of our books. We were sneaking out at night after our parents went to bed and eating all of the ice cream in the freezer. And every morning our parents would wake up and say, they'd like check the freezer because they knew we would do this. And they were like, okay, who ate the ice cream? And every time we would lie. And then one night, you know, we, we were like on a marathon. I don't know why we always had so much ice cream in our freezer, but we did. One night before we snuck out, Bethany looked at me and she was like, but Kristen, if we sneak out and eat the ice cream tonight, then we're going to get disciplined tomorrow. And I was like, oh, sh- it'll be worth it. <laughs> so like quite the good older sister leading my wow. younger sister in the ways. So just thinking back on things like that, I'm like, yeah, I didn't really have like, I didn't really feel that guilty or really, really convicted. But then there was a time a little later where I felt like the Lord was doing that work in my heart. Like I understood. And I feel like maybe mm-hmm. then is when I became a genuine believer and had the Holy spirit and felt that conviction when I was in. Yeah. And I do want to, uh, bring back something that I mentioned when I had Bethany here. So there is a part that you guys share in your, um, podcast about when you were 10 years old And I think you guys, you were with your mom Mm -hmm. walking in a mall, right? And someone just approached you and asked you, will you like to be a model? (laughs) And you're only 10 years old. So I want to hear from your side. How did you receive this question? Like, you know, like someone just comes to a 10 year old and like, hey, would you like to be a model? Yeah. Well, it totally caught me off guard. I, I knew what models were, but I didn't really know a lot about the modeling world. And yeah, I was out shopping with my mom and this she was a modeling agent. She was a, an agency recruiter, but she and her husband actually were the head of some big modeling agency. And so mm-hmm. she saw me, I guess, from afar, came running over and just said to my mom, Hey, I noticed your daughter. She's tall and um, young. And I think she would make a great like recruit for to become a future model. And she explained that she and her husband own this big agency where they would actually train models from a really young age to become top models. And they would recruit them as young as like nine, 10, 11. So she was telling my mom, like, I see so much potential in your daughter and you know, here's my information. What do you think? And my mom was just kind of like, Oh, um, I don't know about this. Cause she was saying that the models would come live with her at this big house. Like they would actually move in and it was like a boarding agency. It just, yeah. My mom was like, I don't think that's what we want for our daughter. But I remember hearing her say, your daughter is so beautiful. She would make a great model. And just 
you know, those words of affirmation on my outward appearance. I think for the first time I, I started really questioning beauty and what it meant to be considered beautiful externally. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that initial conversation with this lady kind of set me on a journey of questioning like, oh, well, she thinks I'm pretty. Do other people think I'm pretty? And starting to find my worth and value in my outward appearance and wanting to almost seek that approval from people. And then obviously the early teens, like from guys, um, I had been recruited from other agencies too, like just in passing, like, Hey, we'd love to have you come work for us. And, you know, I, without even realizing it, I started to base so much emphasis on my outward appearance and so much of my worth value and even identity on what people Mm -hmm. thought of me. Um, and really the root of it is just that fear of man. So living for the approval of others, um, and not living for the approval of God and living in a way that you feel like, Oh, you're going to be accepted if you do certain things versus just wholeheartedly serving the Lord with whatever he's given you. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, that's, that's a much longer story that leads into my later teens, early twenties. But yeah, that question really started for me, that journey of what does it mean to be beautiful? And there's the world's version and there's obviously God's version. So that was kind of the start of me exploring that. And did you choose to later on to be, you know, to pursue modeling? Was it something that you pursued and how did that go? Mm -hmm. I did, you know, my parents were never a huge fan of it just because they wisely knew that in the modeling industry, there are a lot of pitfalls and there are a lot of temptations and it's really hard to hold on to your like moral convictions, biblical convictions about a lot of things and embrace the modeling world wholeheartedly. So they were like, Oh, we just don't really know if this is good. And so when I was, um, yeah, it was probably like early twenties, an agency had approached me and said, Hey, we have, you know, tons of family friendly options for modeling. You don't have to do like anything you're not comfortable with. And I really prayed about it. And my parents were like, well, you know, you can explore it. Like you're an adult obviously, but we would just caution like counsel you to be cautious. And so I was like, okay, so I explored it and they were guaranteeing, like, we will not ever make you do anything that you don't want to do. So I was like, okay, this sounds pretty promising. So I signed a one-year contract and I will tell you like, People, I think just in this world as women, we think, oh, if I could just achieve a certain standard of beauty, if I could just have a certain level of status, then I would be fully confident. I would be fully beautiful. I would be fully accepted. Um, I wouldn't have any insecurities. And I remember that during that year of modeling, I honestly became more insecure, um, more obsessed with my my outward appearance, um, seeking the approval of others. Like never before, I felt so discontent with how I looked. And really what was happening is even though I have this like elevated status or this title of a model, um, I was just so focused on my outward appearance. That's where I was finding my worth value and identity. Mm -hmm. And that's not where God created us to find it. Um, so I feel like after that year, I saw the pitfalls, I saw my heart and I was like, this is not helping me. Like, this is not healthy. And I think it was around that time that I really wanted to know, okay, what does it mean to be beautiful in God's eyes? I know it's not just about externals, like he cares about the heart. And so I went on a journey of just studying the word for myself, like more intently than I had before reading solid gospel centered books on beauty and identity and what it means to be a woman. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that time in the modeling industry was good in the sense that it opened my eyes to a lot of things in my own heart and helped me to see lies that I was believing. And it helped push me toward wanting to know what is the truth? What is God's design for my womanhood? And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I did explore it, but it was just for probably about a year. Right. And uh, were you saved uh, at this time? Would you say? Is yeah. this like, Oh yeah, for sure. You, you mm-hmm. were saved. And so yeah, yeah. at what point do you start? I'm going to backtrack a little bit about that moment of salvation. Like you said, you are not specifically sure, like, oh, this day, this is when the Lord saved me. But at what point in your life did you begin to notice 
changes in your life, true hard changes. And what were some of those changes that you began to see in your, in your life? Yeah, I would say it was probably when I was maybe like eight, nine, 10 years old is when I can remember seeing changes in that I was much more sensitive to sin. And I feel like that's only the Holy spirit, right? Bringing that conviction, bringing that sensitivity. Um, I had a desire to honor God. It wasn't just like, Mm -hmm. Oh, I want to do what I want to do. And I don't really care what happens. Um, it was, Oh, there is a God and I do want to live for him. I do want to live in a way that honors him. Um, and yeah, just feeling that conviction when I would sin, whether it was, you know, lying to my parents or, being really rude to a sibling or disrespecting my parents or whatever it was, you know, even like thoughts in my mind, like if they were lustful, um, you know, as you hit those early preteen years, it's like, oh, you start, you hit puberty and you had, now you have all these other thoughts and questions and like, oh, and I just remember feeling convicted, like, oh yeah, this isn't, this isn't right. This isn't good. This isn't what honors God and, and praying, you know, actually praying for Mm -hmm. myself and to the Lord on my own, not just with the family, but in my own heart, like wanting to read the Bible for myself. So yeah, it's hard to know exactly. Like I can't point to one day, but I feel like it was around that age frame, like eight, mm-hmm. nine, 10, where I really started, um, wanting to, to honor the Lord for myself. And, uh, growing up, uh, do you, did you ever struggle with assurance of salvation? Mm-hmm. Were there points in your life where you felt like your faith was being tested and how did the Lord help you through through that, you know, through that part of your life. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I think for sure, most people can relate to that question of wondering like, well, am I really saved? Like, is God really working in my life? I don't know. And I think it's at times when we're really struggling with things like in particular, for an example, when I was in high school, I was really struggling with some sexual sin. And I share really openly about this. Um, it through girl defined and in the book I wrote sex purity and the longings of a girl's heart, but I was struggling with masturbation, just a lot of lustful thoughts in my mind and my heart. And I remember feeling like, why can't I conquer this sin? Like, why can't I overcome this and just walk in victory? Like, you know, create in me a pure heart. Oh Lord, renew a right spirit within me. Like David prays in the Psalms. Like I would pray that. And I just felt like I wasn't seeing victory. And so I remember questioning like, well, maybe I'm not really saved. You know, maybe I don't really have the Holy spirit. And I shared, you know, later on, I ended up sharing my struggle with my parents after years and they were so gracious and so loving. And that's when I started to see victory was when I brought that secret sin into the light. Um, but yeah, there was that questioning and wrestling. And I just remember my parents telling me, like we go as believers, um, our Christian walk is a journey. It's a journey of growing in the Lord. It's a journey of struggling in sin and then finding victory through Christ, um, him helping us conquer sin. But in those, those low times when we're struggling is often when we question, you know, am I really saved? Because we see the struggle. Why can't I conquer this? You know, what's wrong? Um, maybe I'm not really a Christian, but so often it's just that we need to take maybe some additional steps. Like for me, it was that I was trying to battle the sin on my own and I was keeping it a secret. And, you know, the Mm -hmm. enemy thrives in, in our lives when we have those secret sins, when things are in the darkness, but like the Psalms say, when we bring sin into the light, that's where we find hope and freedom. Um, and that's where I think the body of Christ is so key, whether it's our family or other believers. And so for me, yeah, there was that questioning and that wrestling, but then as my parents helped me walk through it, I saw like, no, there is victory in Christ. And I just need to seek him harder, but not on my own with people surrounding me with loving believers. And that was a huge turning point for me to recognize, um, like Galatians five, six talks about bear one another's burdens. Like that's a call Mm -hmm. for all believers. We're not meant to live this life alone. And so I think so often as Christians, we question our salvation when we're facing intense struggles. And so often we're wrestling alone. So I just, yeah, anytime I find myself struggling now, um, and from that point on, I would invite a believer, whether it was a 
godly woman, my parents, um, even a friend, like, Hey, can I share this with you? Can you be praying for me in this way? And there's just so much strength that the Lord gives us through believers. And I think that Mm -hmm. that was just such a good, I don't know, like a growth point for me in my, uh, my Christian walk to see like, yes, I am saved. I just, I'm not meant to live this Christian life alone. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that, you know, just like being transparent and just uh, mm-hmm. being able to open up at least with someone, someone that yeah. you trust, you know, a believer that, uh, that you trust, whether it's your parents or a friend so that they can be praying for that, but yes. also accountability that they can follow up with like questions. Hey, so how are you doing? How can I be praying for you? Continue praying for you. Uh, you know, it's just, um, it's a way to help one another yeah. to, in our sanctification, you know, to be sanctified more like Christ. Yes. Um, and I know that you've been, you have been married now for 10 years, right? We are 10 celebrating years. 10 years in three weeks. Oh, yes. well, congratulations. Thank you. So at what age did you get married? I was 24. So my husband 24. is about a year and a half younger. So he had just turned 23 and I was 24 when we got married. So what about singleness? How did you struggle in your single years or... What, how, what did you do to use your, your time, you know, mm-hmm. to serve the Lord during those sing, you know, the singleness? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's so funny because at the time when I got married at 24, I felt like I was really old, like, oh, I'm so old, you know, getting married, you know, and I just imagined that I'd always get married when I was like maybe 21. And so 24 felt so old. And now looking back, you know, 10 years later, I'm like, oh, I was just a baby. Like I hardly knew anything. And people just in general are getting married so much later now that 24, even, you know, then some people were even questioning like, oh, are you sure you're ready? Like, aren't you too young? And I just remember thinking like, I'm so old. What do you mean? So it's really funny, but yeah, for those years before, like, you know, in high school, I didn't really date around because I just wanted to wait and be intentional to not date around just for fun. Casually, I wanted to wait until I was older and could maybe engage in like more serious relationships. And so, yeah, that desire for marriage was definitely there. Um, like 18, 19, 20, 21. And I, like I said, I kind of expected to get married like early twenties. Cause in my mind, for some reason, that was just like a good time to get married. I don't know why. Um, but I had that longing and that desire. And I saw in God's word, like marriage is a beautiful thing. Um, it's a gift. It's this beautiful covenant that God brings together a husband and a wife. And so I saw the beauty of it and I was like, yes, I want this. I'm ready for this. Um, but it didn't happen on my timeline. God obviously had different plans, even though it was just a few years later. Um, that season was a season of sanctification for sure, because I had actually met my now husband when I was 19 and we were just super casual friends. He was at the time like 17 and a half. So he was really young. He was nowhere ready to like even think about marriage. And so it was a long journey of like surrender and trusting the Lord because I was really attracted to him. I thought he was really awesome and godly. And I could see all this potential, like, wow, he is a really amazing man, but God was not opening any doors at all. Like he wasn't pursuing me. Um, he wasn't, I could tell he was interested, but there was no like moves that he was making. So I was definitely very single and just trusting the Lord, like, okay, Lord, if he's the one that you'd have for me to marry or for us to get married, I know when your timing, you'll bring us together. But that obviously mm-hmm. is a lot easier said than done because there's that longing and that desire. And it's just not happening for years and years and years. So finally, I guess when I was like, maybe 22, 23, my now husband started pursuing me and he's like, Hey, I am interested. I just wasn't ready to pursue a relationship yet. So I got all the backstory, but yeah, those years of waiting and not knowing like, well, I don't know if I'll ever actually get married. Like I have to trust the Lord regardless. And as a single woman, that was really hard because, you know, we, we love to be in control. We love to know timelines. We love to know what the future holds. And when, 
God is like, okay, you just have to trust me and wait and trust me that I know what's best for you. And that Mm -hmm. your job is to glorify me and to serve me right now, right where I have you. And little did I know then that that would really just be kind of like a preparation ground for my heart for the challenges that were to come. Because obviously when I got married, I had no idea that I would go through you know, a decade of infertility and recurrent miscarriage and longing for the next thing, which is children. And that, that would just be a huge struggle and something that would really refine me. And so I feel like even looking back now, I can see, wow, in small ways, God was even preparing my heart through those challenges of waiting for my husband um, and trusting his timing there for the challenges that were to come. And before you guys get to, you know, like date and all, and all these things for, and for him to actually tell you that he was interested mm-hmm. in pursuing you, were you previously praying for specific things about a future husband? What were you praying for? And what were some of the qualities, of course, that you were looking in, in a man, you know, for yeah. a future husband? Yeah. Yeah. I was praying for my future husband, just praying. And I, I would always pray like, Lord, if you have marriage in my future, because I think sometimes we can say like, Oh, encourage younger girls. Like, yeah, you know, pray for your future husband, but not everyone's called to marriage. So I remember even kind of being aware of that, like, okay, Lord, if you have marriage for me, um, would you, would you deepen his faith? Like for me, a non-negotiable was that he had to be a genuine believer. Like that was 100% had to be a genuine believer. Wouldn't even consider a guy who wasn't genuinely, um, saved, like who knew the Lord for himself. And so that was like just the basics, but also praying that he would genuinely love the Lord, want to serve the Lord, um, that he would have a heart of purity. Um, cause I knew the struggles that I had wrestled with and continued to wrestle with in my own heart. And I know, um, that for guys, sometimes it can be even more challenging. And so just praying that God would strengthen him and give him a heart of purity, a heart for the Lord, uh, from the inside out that he would give him, um, strength to be a leader in his, wherever he had him, like whoever he was, wherever he was, Lord, would you help him to be a leader for you in his friend group? Like if he's at school, if he's working, whatever he's doing, Lord, help him to be a leader. And so just things like that, I felt like I was praying for him. Um, things that were like, yeah, of course would be beneficial for me as a wife one day if we got married, (laughs) but genuinely like wanting the Lord to do those things in his life. And, you know, as I was praying, I had no idea who he was going to be for sure. Um, but it was really cool. Once I did marry my now husband to see so many of those qualities that God had been working in his life. And you said that you were, you saw that he was like, you know, he looked great and he, he looks <laughs> interesting and all of that. Um, of course there was a, an interest in you towards him. Right. But once he finally tells you that he's interested, mm-hmm. what leads you to say yes to him? What were some of the things that you saw that you were like, oh, I can totally see myself with this man. Like I can totally see him as my future husband. Yeah. At the time, you know, I didn't know for sure if I, if he was my future husband or if like I could see him as that, but I, when he said like, Hey, I'm really interested in you. I have been for a while. Um, I'd love to get to know you more intentionally. And I, I said, yes, because I did in that time, like I saw um, really like amazing, like leadership qualities in him, just in his friend group, in his like kind of circle of friends, which we did share some of the same friends. He was just such a leader and he was kind to those around him. I saw him really respecting his parents, you know, even as an adult young man, which a lot of guys can be, you know, like, Hey, like, I know what's good. Like, I know what's up. And they, they don't really respect authority very much. They kind of speak badly about their parents. And he was always really honoring in the way he talked about his dad and his mom. And that just really stood out to me. Um, he's the oldest of three siblings. So the way he treated his younger siblings was really cool too, just to see, wow, he's really kind to his sister. Um, he includes his younger brother who's three years younger. He's not like, oh, like you're younger. I don't want to hang out with you, but 
always like including him, bringing him around and just like seeing that family bond and then seeing his intentionality with what he was involved in. So Mm -hmm. how he spent his time, um, the close friends that he had chosen, like some of his best friends were really solid guys too. So seeing his choices with, um, his commitment to church, um, to the word, like just hearing about the books he was reading or the things he was listening to, or, um, yeah, the friends he chose, like I could see a lot of really solid choices and Mm -hmm. see, I could see like, oh, he's really seeking to honor the Lord in these different areas of his life. So it began the journey of us getting to know each other. But yeah, I would say those are some of the things I noticed that really attracted me to him in a spiritual mm-hmm. sense. And of course I thought he was really handsome. So <laughs> it's like, oh, well, he's so handsome. <laughs> that's important too. Yeah. <laughs> so like, what about after you guys get married? What were some of the most challenging parts of being married? Um, and what did you do to be able to, you know, to overcome those challenges within your marriage? Yeah. Well, first of all, a man and a woman getting married, as you know, (laughs) there are some differences right there, some challenges and the fact that we're both sinners. So we had honestly a great first year of marriage. We faced some challenges for sure, but it wasn't a disaster. I know some couples I talked to, they're like, oh, our first year was the worst year ever, but then it got better after that. I feel like for us, the first year was definitely a growing year, but it was a good year. Like we, I felt like it was a good foundational year. Um, but some of the things that I saw coming out early on, um, just for me personally, I struggle a lot with my emotions leading, um, just leading me. So like whatever I feel, I just feel like that's the truth in that moment. And, um, in marriage, you know, you go in and you don't realize you have all these expectations. So I was thinking like, oh, I expect him to just perfectly meet all of my needs to understand how I'm feeling. And if I'm down about something, you know, he's going to automatically know and just swoop in and save me. And I feel like in some ways I, I really looked to my husband early on in that first year to almost be my savior rather than fully mm. looking to Christ, you know, and looking to Zach to be the one who's going to always make me happy or, um, the one who's going to fill me with hope, the one who's going to, um, just fill me with confidence and security and looking to him rather than looking to Christ. Mm. Like I should have been, you know, I was looking to Christ, but I just think I, my priorities were off a little bit. And so mm. that creates expectations and then things don't happen the way you think they're going to happen or the way you want them to happen. And so I would find myself getting really emotional and just even sometimes like crying over things that were so little and weren't even a huge deal, but just, I was so wrapped up in my own head and heart that I would just like, Oh, like I would just get so emotional about it. And my husband's like, he's not very emotional at all. So he's like, Oh, oh, wow. She is a crier. Um, and I just found myself more and more like praying, like, God, help me to control my emotions. Like what is going on? And then I heard a really, really wise person say that, um, you know, in scripture, we see so many passages where God is calling us to, um, take our thoughts captive, to guard our minds, to guard our hearts. And there are passages that talk about the way we feel, but so often it starts with what is true. And that mm-hmm. begins in our minds, in our hearts. And so as I started thinking about it, and this, this person shared and said, you know, we need to be asking God to help us to lead our emotions with truth. And I was, I thought, wow, that's what I'm missing because I've been praying, God, help me to control my emotions. But what I need to be praying is God, help me to control my thoughts, to believe what is true help me to guard my mind to reject, you know, if I, if the enemy puts something in my mind or I'm tempted to believe something that I know isn't true, help me to, to say, no, Lord, that's not true. Um, help me to believe what is true in this moment. Yes. My husband does love me. Yes. We have, um, a beautiful marriage. Yes. You are sovereign God. Yes. You are my hope Lord. And like, just to renew my mind with this truth, like Ephesians four talks about. And I feel like that helped me so much 
to Mm -hmm. just, I guess, to be led by the truth um, rather than just led by my feelings. So that first year of marriage, like I said, was really good. But in my own heart, those were some of the things that I was really working through. And then even later, and I mentioned this to you uh, that I was listening to one of the episodes yesterday, and you also just mentioned um, previously about having infertility issues. So of course, uh, you desire to be a mom, right? To be able to have um, children. Uh, But eh, it's something that it hasn't been possible for you. So would you mind just telling us how this all begins and where you are at this point? Yes. Yes. So when we got married, we, well, first off, I'm from a family, like I said, if there's eight kids and my mom is like, I jokingly call her a birthing pro because she had so many kids and she's like, no epidural, you know, some of them were home births. Like, like you are a rock star. And so naturally I went into marriage thinking, oh yeah, I'm going to easily be able to get pregnant and have kids as many or as few as I want, because look at my mom, like I come from good track record. And so I had this expectation without even realizing it. And the first year of marriage, my husband and I, we never did anything to prevent. We were just like, whatever happens, happens. Like we're open to kids right away. Or if the Lord you know, wants us to wait, he'll, he won't give us children. So we were just kind of trusting him in that. But of course, anyone who isn't preventing, you naturally assume, oh, we're going to get pregnant, obviously, because that's just what happens. And so when that first year went by and we had our one year anniversary, I remember kind of thinking, hmm, like, this is kind of like, I'm actually kind of grateful. We had this first year to really focus on our marriage and build this foundation. But at the same time, it's kind of strange that I didn't get pregnant, but you know, that happens. Like I'd heard stories of people who just naturally didn't get pregnant for a little while and then mm-hmm. they would no problem. So I wasn't really concerned. Um, so second year rolls around. And during that second year, I feel like is when I started to get concerned, like just wonder. And I started doing a lot of research and, you know, they say online that after a year of trying to conceive and not conceiving, that's considered like, okay, there may be an issue come in and let's do some fertility tests kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I remember at that, our second year anniversary, feeling like, wow, two years and no pregnancy. Like this is so like something must be wrong. And right around that time, as I was having these thoughts and starting to really probably like worry in my heart about what could be wrong, I got pregnant and it just felt like, oh, this, like God was just giving us time to really work on our marriage and just serve him with just the two of us. But now we're ready. Like now we're ready to start a family. And, you know, we were just trusting him throughout this whole time. And I mean, I was really feeling like I was just trusting the Lord and he's giving us this blessing. And then to my shock, and I was not even like, this wasn't even on my radar six weeks in, I miscarried. And that just Mm -hmm. totally, like, I felt like it was out of left field. I didn't see it coming. I didn't even it wasn't even like I was mentally thinking like, oh, I could miscarry because I know that's always a reality. Everyone knows that's a reality for any pregnancy. But for me, it was like, oh, that's so not going to happen. You know, God is blessing us with this child. And so at six weeks when I miscarried, I, it just shocked me so much. And I felt so down and I felt so discouraged and so almost hopeless. Um, the grief was so hard to walk through and we had just told our family and like a few close friends. So we hadn't made any sort of announcements, but still, telling everyone that I had miscarried and just the pain of walking that journey. My husband and I, you know, we're still sort of newly-ish married and we're trying to navigate this and figure out um, like how to process grief as a couple. Um, That was really, really hard for both of us too. And so as time went on, I felt like my hands were clenched. Like I had, when I got pregnant, it was like, okay, this is mine. Like, thank you, Lord. Okay, thank you. And this is mine. I'll take it from here. And I feel like through that miscarriage, the Lord helped me to see that I was really seeking my own strength. And I was Um, I wasn't looking to him. I wasn't placing my hope and my trust in him that I was very close fisted about this. And so I feel like the Lord just humbled me and helped me to open my hands and to surrender 
um, whatever happened to him and to trust him as I walked this, to trust him for the grace, even through the grieving. And so it was such a journey in my own heart. And then six months later, after the first miscarriage, I got pregnant again. And that was like, oh, you know, this is, this is it. Like we just had that initial first miscarriage, but now we're pregnant again and everything is going to be fine. And, you know, thank you, Lord. You're so, so grateful, Mm. so blessed and just feeling all of the excitement and the joy. And then exactly six weeks, like to the day, same as the first one I miscarried again. Mm. Um, and it all happened so fast, so suddenly, Um, And I really, of course, I'm a big researcher. So I researched it online. Everyone said like back-to-back miscarriages are super rare. They're a very small percentage of women who have ever experienced this. Like, it's probably not going to happen to you. You know, don't worry. And so I remember thinking like, oh, I'm good. Like statistically, I'm good. Like there's going to be no problem. And so when that second miscarriage happened, I had thought that I went into that pregnancy with my hands open, um, with my hands just open, my heart surrendered, trusting the Lord. But when that second miscarriage happened, I saw again, like I was really holding on to this, like my hope, my joy, my future, like it was in this pregnancy. And God took me on another really hard, really painful journey of just surrendering and learning to trust him, going through that grieving process again with my husband and and really wrestling in my heart, is God truly good? Because I'd always said that, and I'd always in my heart believed that. But like for many of us, when we walk through something so hard, so painful, um, so unexpected, that's when we start to question. And that's when we are tempted to view God's character through the lens of our circumstances. And I found myself doing that, like in that hard time, is God really who he says he is? You know, can I fully trust him? Um, are his plans actually good because this doesn't feel good. And I was really questioning the character of God because my circumstances were so hard. And I feel like through that, God did another work in my heart of just helping me see that he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, that my circumstances are going to sometimes be wonderful and beautiful. And sometimes they're going to be devastating and filled with grief, but he never changes. He is the same through the ups and the downs. And I can trust him. I can place my hope in him. He is the only, the only rock, the only anchor that I can hold onto. That's going to be stable and steady. And so again, another huge work in my heart and my husband's and little did we know that at that point in time, you know, we were two and a half years married that we would go for another probably five or six years of, of just infertility of no pregnancy nothing happening. And that was really for me, kind of like a desert period where Mm -hmm. I had way more questions than answers. I got all of the fertility testing done. Um, I was diagnosed with unexplained infertility, which is such a discouraging diagnosis because it's like, well, there's a problem, but we don't know what the problem is. So sorry, you just fall on this percentage of women who we can't figure out what their problem is. And I'm like, this is, it just felt so hopeless. And this longing for motherhood, this longing for, for, to be a parent with Zach and to have a family, it was so strong. And I just, remember so many times crying and going to the Lord and just saying, why Lord, like, why, why won't you give us this blessing? We're crying out to you. We're seeking you. We're seeking to be faithful. Would you just answer our prayers? And, and God just calling me again and again to trust him and showing me that my hope was so often in getting pregnant and not fully in the Lord and him just in some ways, like refining me and testing me to, to really see like, is Jesus truly enough? You know, as Christians, we always say that like the Lord mm-hmm. is enough. Like he is enough. He is my all, he is my everything. But mm-hmm. then it's like deep in our hearts. We're like, yeah, you are, but also this yes, but also marriage or, but also children or, but also this job that I want, or, but also this raise or whatever it is. And we don't realize that we have these little idols that are on the side. And we say we're wholeheartedly worshiping the Lord, that he's all we need, but then we don't actually, that's not reflected in our heart. And so Mm -hmm. God was exposing that in my heart and showing me that becoming a mother had really become an idol. 
and that I needed to be, um, that my worship needed to be in God and God alone. And so that was a work that he did also just refining me and helping me to, um, to not worship those that, that idol, even a good thing like motherhood to not have that as my number one, but for him to truly be the sole one that my heart was worshiping and that my hope was fully in him. And as he did that work for the first time, I started to have hope and it wasn't hope in getting pregnant. It was hope that the Lord was going to use my life, that he was going to use my story, that he was going to provide me opportunities to build his kingdom in like with motherhood or without motherhood and that I could trust him with that. And that my biggest goal and purpose wasn't to become a mom, but it was to worship and glorify God and build his kingdom. It wasn't about me. It was about him. And as God did that work for the first time, I could see that hope of like, okay, that is the point of life. Um, yes, I can continue praying for these longings of my heart, but my true purpose is to serve God and to glorify him. And in that purpose, I will always have hope. I will never be disappointed because um, that's why God has me here on this earth is to spread the gospel and then proclaim his name. And so that was a huge turning point for me. Um, and then out of the blue, at eight years, it was just past or right, right around eight years of marriage. I got pregnant out of the blue. Like it was so unexpected because it was just all these years of no pregnancy of like infertility. And then I got pregnant and that pregnancy was so different than the others. And that it actually lasted, um, almost throughout the entire first trimester. So I was so hopeful. My husband and I were so excited. And, um, then when I went in at my 11, it was like around 11 weeks, the doctor said, um, you know, I'm so sorry, but we're not seeing a heartbeat anymore. And for me, that was, it was like a gut punch. Like, why would the Lord allow me to walk all these years of infertility or two early miscarriages and then allow me to get pregnant and then allow the pregnancy to go for a fairly long time, considering the other two ended so soon only yeah. to take this baby away again. And so I feel like that was a whole new season of, Oh, like, Lord, this almost just feels like a cruel joke. Like why even give me this baby just to take it away. And again, the Lord just taking me back to his word. Um, a verse Isaiah 26, three was a verse that had become my theme verse throughout that season and still is even to this day. And it's you, it says you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And I feel like mm -hmm. the Lord was just pressing that into my heart. Like you want, you long for peace. Um, even as I was grieving, like, and you know, there's a good process to grieve as we go through loss. Like it's very healthy and good to grieve, but as one with hope, um, but just that reminder that the Lord gives us peace when we put our trust in him, that he keeps us in that perfect peace when our mind is set on him. And so him just working and doing that work in my heart and yeah. And then around, you know, Zach and I process that grief and, you know, to this day, it's still really hard, even thinking back on it, like, oh, like, wow, those are just three really hard miscarriages and still that longing to have biological children is still there. Um, but I do feel surrendered, I guess, trusting the Lord with that part of my journey. Um, but yeah, last year, so that was around eight years of marriage. And then last year, right after, or right before our nine-year anniversary, um, the Lord just really started stirring our hearts for adoption. And that was something that a lot of people had recommended, obviously over the years, like, have you considered adoption? Adoption's beautiful. Adoption's biblical. Um, you know, God has a heart for adoption. I'm like, yes, I know all of these things, but my husband and I just never, we never had a piece about it. We never felt like that was where the Lord was calling us. Um, the door just did not really seem open. We were really plugged into our local church. We were part of a church plant, just really ministering, serving God, building his kingdom just as a couple. And it was a wonderful, wonderful season of doing that. Um, but we just never felt like we had the green light for adoption. And then last year, God really just like did a 180 in each of our hearts. And we um, read a book by Russell Moore called Adopted for Life. And it totally transformed my perspective about adoption and just seeing 
the Lord's heart in adoption, seeing the picture of the gospel that adoption portrays through, um, you know, bringing an orphan into your home or a child in need and giving them a new name, a new identity, in a sense, becoming their parents and just seeing that paralleled with every single one of us as humans. Um, we are all spiritual orphans and Christ came and died for us and adopts us into his family. He gives us a new name. He gives us a new identity. He calls us his beloved daughters. And just seeing that picture, was like, like light bulb. Like I'd never seen it so clearly. And I just felt so compelled. My husband did too. So that's a whole nother story. I don't know if we're going to get into that at all, but we did begin that journey. And, um, the Lord brought us to two amazing little boys, brothers from the country of Ukraine that we now have with us. We've been back for about two months. So still learning how to be a family. Um, but yeah, I always just say, wow, the Lord's plans, they are so different than our plans (laughs) and we have to trust him because we never know what he has in store for our future. Oh, that is so right. And I love actually something that you said that you shared in that episode that I was listening about your testimony and about infertility and all that and miscarriages. Uh, And I loved that you said that when the nurse told you that she couldn't find a heartbeat, like after that, there was a moment that you were just questioning God, like, Mm -hmm. why, why God, why God? And then you will talk to your husband about this, like, why, why wouldn't the Lord allow us to to have this baby too, because you also, I mean, it wasn't like you just, you have to wait for the miscarriage to come and yes. it was going to happen like at any point, right? Like it was like yeah. go home and you wait for the miscarriage to happen, right? Yes, which that was different than my first two because I was so far along the miscarriage was, it was a lot more dramatic. It was a lot more painful, a lot harder. So when the nurse said, or the doctor said, I don't see a heartbeat on the ultrasound. She said, yeah, um, you know, go home and hopefully the miscarriage will happen naturally. I can't really tell you when it's going to happen. Hopefully in the next week, if it doesn't, then you need to come in and we can um, medically, you know, make sure that we get the the baby, the tissue essentially out of your uterus. Cause you can't, obviously it's really unhealthy for it to stay in there too long. And so I was just like, Lord, on top of this, I now have to go home still pregnant. And at some point, Lord willing in the next week or two, I'm just going to miscarry. Like if that was the worst, like I had never been through that, that week was just, I feel like one of the darkest weeks of my life of just the, the grief, but then not it, there wasn't closure because I still had to wait. And so, yeah, it took about a week and then the miscarriage, you know, when I, I was praying like, Lord, just please be gracious to me and allow this miscarriage to happen naturally. Like, please just let this be over. Um, and mm-hmm. I just remember thinking, wow, how ironic that I was praying that, you know, praying that the Lord would allow me to miscarry, miscarry naturally, but that's where I was at in that point in the journey. And by God's grace, it did happen naturally. But like I said, it took a week and it was so hard, so painful. And I just remember on the other side of it, just thinking like, yeah, what was the point of that Lord? Like that just felt so pointless. And I was in my heart questioning again, like just the goodness of the Lord. He felt, he felt far away from me and he felt so, so, so distant. Like he was detached from my circumstances. Like he, like he couldn't see me, like he didn't care about me. Like he wasn't involved in anything that was happening. And I had never felt that way before about the Lord. And so I do share, um, I shared in that episode you're referring to, and, um, actually an upcoming book that I'm so excited about. My sister and I are just finishing, but it's called not part of the plan releases this fall. And it's where she and I each share in depth, these stories just of things that were not part of our plan and the Lord working through them. I'm looking forward to that one. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, The most personal one we've ever written, but just feel like we've got to share like the Lord has been, Oh, I know what I was going to say. So after that, that week after the miscarriage where I did feel like it was just so dark and like God was so far away. Um, I, I knew my heart needed something. I was like, I can't, 
do this on my own. I can't, I don't even feel like I can seek the Lord right now. I feel so numb spiritually. And so I was like, I just need truth in my heart. I need the Lord's truth in my heart because I can't even think about what's true. Like I, I just felt like my brain cells were off. I felt like my heart was numb. I didn't even care to pursue the Lord. He felt so far away, so distant. And so I just knew I needed some sort of intervention. And so Mm -hmm. I found a 30 day, like basically a prayer journal. And it, it was actually just a sheet of paper. It had 30 days on it. And each day it had a name and an attribute of God. And then the scripture passage that talks about that name or attribute of God. And every Every single day I would look up those verses and I would just meditate on that name or attribute of God. And I would just, mm-hmm. you know, read it and I would see, okay, God is sovereign. Okay. God is good. God is holy. God is righteous. God is just, um, he is Jehovah. I would see these names, these attributes, and I would meditate on what that meant about who God really was. And I will tell you those, the 30 days of doing that, it was like the most Oh, like refreshing ointment for my heart that just felt like a dry desert. It was like spiritual refreshment of being renewed in the word, renewed by truth, having those, those, um, truths about the Lord's character pour into my heart. It was transformational. And, you know, the, I was still grieving. And even after 30 days, it was still really hard, but I feel Mm -hmm. like God took me from a place of feeling spiritually numb to being spiritually renewed as I meditated Mm -hmm. on who he is. And I loved that your husband was there by your side, just encouraging you. You mentioned how, when you asked that question, how he, I think you said that he basically said something like, when we ask God, why, uh, I I think we're actually asking God, why can you just change? Like, can you change the situation for me? Can you change my current circumstances? Yes. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Isn't that so true? Like, God, why would you let this happen? But really what we're saying is God why can't you just change this and make this yeah. better? Like, yeah. Cause that's what we're really wanting. So it's really, when we question often, it's that we're not really trusting that mm-hmm. God, um, that he has a greater plan, even in the heart that he is working all things to the good of those who love him ultimately mm-hmm. for his glory, for our sanctification, to make us more like Christ, to use our, our dark places as a place that we can minister to other women in the future. Like there's so much God's doing. So yeah, when we ask why we're often not wanting the answer, we're just wanting God to change our circumstances. Yeah. And I found myself saying why a lot of times, well, I've, I'm different circumstances of my life, but one most recent one, was when my husband, which was my fiance at the time was super sick. And I will find myself because it was like an ongoing thing and nothing will change. I'm like, why Lord, why can he just feel better? But then I found myself in Job <laughs> and, you know, Job, Job 38. And it was like a moment of like, I needed to confess to the Lord for even questioning my creator. Where was I when he was laying down the foundation of the world? You know, like, mm-hmm. who am I to even question him? He is a creator. He does as he pleases. But yet he is my comforter and he is the one walking me through the storm. And so that is like the greatest comfort that all of us can have and the hope that we have in him. Yes, and- yes. I do want to ask about how do you guys go by adopting the two boys that you mentioned? I do want to mention that. <laughs> how do you go by adopting two boys out of, outside of the United States, like, you know, international adoption? And how did you guys prepare for this moment uh, to adopt two boys? When we started pursuing the adoption journey, we didn't know anything about it at all. Honestly, like I didn't know how do you even start the adoption process? What does this road look like? Um, do you need an agency? Do you do it on your own? Like we knew nothing. So we started by just researching. And as we researched, we found that most families typically pursue one of three tracks, like one of three paths toward adoption. And one is 
domestic infant. So adopting an infant domestically, um, which is very, very common. You know, you get connected with a birth mom and then you um, adopt her baby essentially. So that's very common. Um, and then the other option locally is foster care. So foster to adopt. So typically it's kids that are a little bit older. Obviously there are some younger ones too, but often sibling groups or um, kids that have been in the foster system, they're now ready to be adoptable. So you join as a foster family and then you hope to foster to adopt. But it's typically a very long journey. Um, there can be a lot of upsets and that things can seem like they're going to work out, but then things could change last minute. And that's true for any adoption, for sure, any track. But the third option was international adoption. And as we looked into that and we just saw that it was a very straightforward path in a lot for a lot of countries, um, there was kind of a start and a finish um, there wasn't a lot of, um, I guess, I don't know how to say it, like upset in the sense that the adoptions would often follow, you know, work out in the end. Um, so my husband and I, just with the journey we had been on with the recent miscarriage, with the previous miscarriages, the long journey of infertility, we just felt like, you know, we would love a path that's just a little bit more straightforward that kind of has a start and an end and won't stretch on for years and years. And so international adoption really appealed to us. Um, we also knew that there are just so many countries with so many orphans that are living in mm -hmm. much, much worse conditions than than most children here in the US. And we just felt a burden for that. My sister at the same time started dating a missionary who was from Ukraine. So he is Ukrainian and is a missionary in his country. She met him at her local church here in San Antonio. And so they were dating long distance. And so through him, we had actually gotten, got to know like a lot of people in Ukraine. And we learned about just the dozens and dozens of orphanages, the thousands of orphans in Ukraine. And my husband and I both just felt so drawn to that country. And then my sister got engaged and we just, you know, had a, Yes, had a love for the country through my sister, knowing she was going to move there. Um, and then just started getting to know so many people. We actually visited, went to Ukraine when my sister got engaged. So we saw the country, we met tons of people and just felt like, wow, this just seems like God is opening up the door for Ukraine. So that's how the Lord opened that door. And then as we started the process, once we knew Ukraine, then we found an agency, an adoption agency that specialized in the country of Ukraine. So they helped us navigate the entire journey from start to finish. There's so much red tape, so much paperwork. I mean, it was like a part-time job that we took on, honestly, just filling out the paperwork, getting all the things certified and, um, apostilled and like notarized and just all these medicals and work stuff and your history and your whole life. It's like all laid bare before <laughs> the government. And then you just pray that they accept you. And so we had worked for months and months and months and then finally finished all of our paperwork, sent this huge packet over to Ukraine that all had to be translated then into Russian and just praying that it would all like get there. And that, you know, cause it's like months and months of work and, you know, if it gets lost in the mail, like you're back to square one. So we're like, Lord, please. Uh -huh. So Ukraine is a country that does blind adoptions, unless you already know about a child that you want to adopt, but most people don't. So it's a blind adoption. They will not give you a referral. They will not tell you anything about the children until you you are in country, like there in Ukraine at the Ministry of Social Policy. So when we flew over there, when we our dossier was accepted, when they invited us to travel, and then they set a court date, or I guess a ministry, a ministry date to be there at the Ministry of Social Policy, we had no idea. We just on your paperwork, you can put preferences as far as like age range, how many children. So we have just said, okay, we're open to children from ages zero to 10. Um, boys or girls, we don't care. We were open to one to three children. So that's what our, our paper said. 
So when we got there at the ministry, they only showed us profiles of children that were in that range. And then they already had an idea of what they felt like would be a good fit for us. And so we talked through some of the different profiles and then ultimately settled on the two boys that we adopted. And they just, at the time they were 10 and six, they actually each just had birthdays like this past week, both of their (laughs) birthdays. So now they're 11 and seven, but we just, we traveled down to the region where they were staying, where they were living, which was um, about 10 hours away from the capital, which is where our appointment was. So we had to take an overnight train down to that region to meet them. The kids actually have to agree to be adopted by the parents. So it's not just a one-way street. They have to say yes. And we say yes. So they both, they actually have to stand in court and say yes as well. So you have to meet them obviously, so they can get to know you. So we spent a day or two, I think it was two days just spending time with them. Obviously we couldn't talk to them because they speak Russian and we speak English. So we couldn't communicate still. We can't really, but we're, we're, we're making progress. Um, so we spent two days with them and my husband and I just knew we're like, these are, these are the ones like, these are the kids. Like we want these kids. We love them so much. Um, let's do this. And so we said, yes, they said yes. And then we actually had to go home and then fly back to Ukraine for a second trip to finalize everything. Um, so when we went back, that's when the adoption was actually legally finalized in Ukraine. So in their court system, Mm -hmm. and then we brought the boys home and then finished up some paperwork, but yeah, it's been an exciting and wild ride going from just my husband and me for 10 years to instant family, two boys, 10 and six, and just the language barrier, cultural differences. Um, just learning how to be a family, learning for them, how to be kids with us as their parents and vice versa, just learning how to communicate, Um, it's been, yeah, a wild ride, but so exciting. And God has been so gracious and just giving us strength for each new day. We just, we take it one day at a time. (laughs) We're like, I only have brain cells and grace for today. So (laughs) Lord help me in this next hour. Um, yeah. yeah, So I'm teaching them English with an, an ESL teacher who comes to our house a few times a week. And then I just do a lot of the, the writing and practicing with them and vocabulary and Lord willing in about a year, we'll be able to communicate. (laughs) Yeah, it's a process. It's yes. a process. Uh, so as long as they're, you know, being exposed to the language, which they are now, right? Yeah. Full immersion. Yeah. <laughs> they're oh, like full, full immersion. immersion. <laughs> yep. I can't imagine or maybe, them. Or maybe you should. And now you guys are going to learn Russian. Oh, oh, yes, yes, yes. We have learned. Um, <laughs> I asked that you, um, do you speak English? <laughs> oh, yes, I do. <laughs> and Spanish. <laughs> I speak oh, Spanish. hey, I don't really do any Spanish. So we've learned a lot of Russian just because we've had to. So it's good. Yeah. We're both being, they're being stretched and challenged. We're being stretched and challenged. And it's just a beautiful yeah. thing to see God bring us together as a family. Well, I love honestly uh, the culture because I do have a lot of friends from church, you know, like from Russia and wow. uh, Latvia. So they speak Russian and they're trying to teach me, but my brain doesn't keep the information it's just like next time I see my friend I'm like I know you told me that word but I can't remember <laughs> yes it is a hard language it is it's so, hard. so difficult I think yeah it it's very difficult but I'm so happy for you guys and uh I've seen the photos I know that Bethany she has uh, reposted and I'm following your page yes. so I've been keeping up with what's happening and so so excited Aww, about that um I don't know if I could ask you a couple of more questions yeah sure. are you good mm-hmm. yeah you're good yeah. So, because I did get, um, you know, about the whole girl define how everything started from Bethany, but what about you from your side? Why? Do, because you, this happened within your marriage, right? You were married when you, I was already were, married. Yeah. Yeah. When you guys started this ministry. So why do you decide to, uh, do this ministry? How, how has the Lord used girl define in your life to grow yeah. you or to, you know, to bless other women? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Well, growing up in a family with five girls and I'm the oldest of the five, Bethany's the second oldest. We always had this built-in sisterhood with our own sisters and our mom. So it was always really cool. But one of the things that as we got older, we started noticing for both Bethany and me was that our younger sisters were watching us. They were looking up to us. They were taking their cues from us about so many things. And we just felt this I guess the weight of the responsibility of wanting to, to lead them well, of wanting to model, um, just biblical womanhood for them in a way that they would see is scriptural, like, oh, and wanting to follow, I guess, in our footsteps in a sense, and just seeing that responsibility that God had given us as their older sister. So that, I think that burden of wanting to encourage and speak into the next generation came from just being in our family. And as we got older and we really saw a lot of the challenges that we were facing of just the lies that we were believing about beauty or identity or our relationship status, or um, what true success is as a woman, what the purpose of our life is as a woman, we were wrestling with a lot of these questions and studying and learning. And we just felt like, wow, there aren't a lot of messages out there helping young women understand what it actually means to be a girl defined by God and not a girl defined mm-hmm. by the world. Um, and so as we were growing and learning, God just let this, I guess, this passion in our hearts for wanting to be, um, I guess, just a voice for the next generation of women to say God's way is better. His way is beautiful. Um, in him, we find truth. We find freedom. We find true beauty. Um, let's chase after God's design together and to just kind of be leaders in that way. And so we didn't really know what that was going to look like. Honestly, we had no idea God was going to open up the door for us to get to, to start writing books and get books published. We had no idea that we would eventually have a yearly conference for young women. We had no idea like that we'd have a YouTube channel or anything. So the Lord just, you know, one step at a time, we started blogging just three blog posts a week. And, you know, they were very, um, just very basic. And we were just trying to just put some information out there and God just used that as I guess, encouragement for so many young women, that girl defined just started growing. And then through that, we thought, well, let's do videos because that's an easy way to communicate to young women. They love watching videos. So we started making videos. And then as time went on, a publisher found us and said, Hey, we'd love for you guys to write a book. And so that's how our first book girl Define, came about. And it was just so neat to see the Lord, honestly, open every door. Like we weren't prying doors open. We weren't pushing. We were just trusting him for each year and just saying, okay, this is what we have for this year. Help us to be faithful. And then as time went on, my sister eventually got married. Cause I, like you said, I was already married once we started girl Define. Um, but my sister got married. Um, now she has her little boy. And then our two younger, the two youngest sisters in our family actually joined our team and are now team members with us. Um, so that was super cool to see God use their talents and skills and abilities as a part of our team to, to just, you know, further this message of what you have God defined womanhood. So yeah, it's just really cool to see how things have morphed over the years and how God has grown girl defined, but really our heartbeat is still the same, that we would just be a generation of women who are defined by God and calling Mm -hmm. the next generation of women to the same thing. Yeah. And I've had some close friends that when they saw that they, that I posted my first interview with Bethany, they were like, Oh my goodness, they have, their ministry has been such a blessing to my life. And I'm like, how am I just hearing this now? <laughs> I didn't even know. I didn't know. I found you guys through Katie J from Abide Podcast, the Abide Podcast. Oh, yes. That's yes. how I learned about your ministry. I had no oh. idea. And I'm like, oh, my friends knew and nobody <laughs> told me. It's That's hilarious. A, yes. It's, a, it's been such a blessing. And I love, love what you guys are doing. And you have, you mentioned the conference, the one year conference that you guys mm-hmm. have, and it's coming up. Can you give me a little bit of just quick information about? Yes. Uh, what is this conference about? What happens in this conference and mm-hmm. what what are the dates for the conference? Yeah. 
it is the most exciting thing we do all year. I love it so, so much because we call it the gathering of the sisterhood, essentially. Um, it's a two-day conference. It's for girls and women of all ages, and we just have a blast. We have main stage sessions where we dig into God's word, um, understanding his specific design for our lives as women. Every year we have a different theme, which makes it fun. So this year the theme is shine bright, and it's all about learning how to shine bright together. So as the mm. sisterhood, where God has us collectively as the church, but then individually, right where God has us in our school, at our workplace, in our families, shining the light of Christ and what that looks like in a world that feels very dark. And that is moving further and further away from God's word, from his truth, redefining everything. Um, you know, us as, as Christian women, getting back to his timeless word and then shining right for his glory. So that's the theme this year. It's July 30th and 31st in San Antonio. Um, we weren't able to gather last year because of the pandemic. So we're so excited to gather this year and have all the sisterhood together. Um, but we have breakout sessions just with amazing godly women teaching on really specific topics. So things that girls are like, yeah, I have a question about that. It's like, oh, great. You can go to that specific breakout session and really dig into that with this amazing woman. Um, and then, you know, you just build friendships. We've had girls who have met each other at the conference. Cause we've been going on. I think this is our fifth year, fifth or sixth mm-hmm. met girls at the conference. And they're, they still are good friends to this day because it's mm-hmm. just being surrounded by so many like-minded sisters who are all wanting to know God in a deeper way and specifically wanting to know his plan for us as women, there's just such a bond and such a connection. So we do a lot of fun things. We have a fun late night party on Friday night um, where we do games and just like fun girl stuff. We have a band that comes in to lead worship and it's just amazing segments of worship. Um, so yeah, it's something that we hope everyone, you know, as many girls as possible can join us, but we know this year still with some States, not fully reopening with the pandemic, we do have a simulcast version as well. So all of that info is on our website at girldefined.com slash conference. Yeah. And that was my next question. How can they find you? And I'll make sure to add all the links to the show notes as well. Oh yeah. So on all of the social media, we're either at girl defined, like Instagrams where we spend a lot of our time on um, Facebook is at girl defined. We have our YouTube channel, just youtube.com slash girl defined. And then our website's really our hub where you can get all of the information on all of our books, our shop. Um, we have a mentorship course that comes out occasionally where we'll, we'll host a live eight week mentorship program, um, all virtual. And then our conference and that's just girldefined.com. Thank you so much. And now two of my signature questions of the podcast. I'm going to ask you two instead of the three that I ask if I, uh, three things that brings you joy. Oh, and now are these like spiritual things or just anything, (laughs) anything, anything that brings you joy. Like I had people that they will say maybe decorate in their house before. So that brings them joy. So anything that brings you joy. Yeah. Oh, well, I have to say my little dog, Sadie, she's been with in our family for seven years and she's a little multi-poo and I love dogs so much. So I would say one thing just simple that brings me joy is just sitting on the couch with a cup of coffee and my sweet little dog on my lap, just snuggling up to me <laughs> That is, and maybe a rainy day too. <laughs> yeah. And two more. Oh, oh, two more. Oh goodness. So three, okay, you get thing- three. I only give people oh. three. <laughs> Three things that bring me joy. Okay. We'll say the coffee. That's definitely a daily one. We'll say that's one, the dog. And then, oh goodness. I mean, I want to say like, well, the obvious ones, like the Lord, my family, there's so much joy there. Um, but like another, maybe less spiritual one would be, um, early morning. Now that I'm a mom before the kids get up, my husband and I get up before the kids and we just do like some time in the word, but also just reading like any book that we want to read, that's going to be encouraging to us. And so that's been something that's brought me a lot of joy these past eight weeks is just that like 30 minutes of time when everything's quiet in the house and I just have my book and I'm reading and it's just like, Oh, it's, I just savor that time every single day. <laughs> 
Awesome. And now my last one, um, why do we need Jesus Christ? Mm. And that's because, you know, this podcast is to exalt Christ. This is all, all that we talked about. It's the work of the, of Jesus Christ, you know, in our lives and sanctifying us more to the likeness of Christ. So why do we need Jesus? Oh gosh, we need him for every reason, but truly because we were sinners and we, we are not enough in and of ourselves. We don't have what it takes to find true joy, fulfillment, purpose, identity. It cannot come from within. And when we seek it from within, we find ourselves in a hopeless place. Truly. We find ourselves more anxious, more depressed, more discouraged because it can't come from within us. We need a savior desperately. And so we need Christ. We need his saving grace in our lives for salvation. We need the Holy spirit to give us strength and wisdom as we navigate life. And we need the word. So we know what is true and what is a lie. Um, and yeah, we need Christ because he is, he is love. He is the epitome of love. Um, he is the definition of love. And so his love, um, is what we were created for to have a personal relationship with him. And we can find all of our yeses, as the scripture says, in Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kristen, for joining us on the podcast. And I hope to have you back. I normally like to invite my guests back. (laughs) I would love to. (laughs) You were so fun. Thank you so much. This was such a great conversation. Thank you so much. And if, if you wouldn't mind just closing us in prayer. Absolutely. Oh Lord, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you for this opportunity through technology to lift your name high and um, to hear about the work that you've done, um, to see your glory, to see your faithfulness, your steadfastness. Thank you that you never change, that you are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, um, that you give us perfect peace when our mind is stayed on you because we can trust in you. And I pray for every woman listening right now, would you remind her heart of that same truth Um, that you are constant, that you are faithful, that you are good, that you are all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving, all-just, and through the good and the bad, the hard and the easy, the joy and the grief, Lord, you are working. You see the bigger picture. We only see a tiny snippet of what we can see in front of us, Lord, but you see everything. And so would you help us to trust that you're working all things out for your glory and your honor and our good. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.